Hi guys, it's Kirsten from fluentlanguage.co.uk, here always as the host of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. And today I want to introduce you to a guest who is so special and chances are you've even experienced something in your life already that this person has worked on because he's the co-creator of a Duolingo course. He's the co-creator of an event in that is an absolute fixture in the language learning calendar, the Polyglot Gathering, and he has recently created his own app that helps you in his own words do the friendship thing with other people so i'm looking forward in this episode to introduce you to chuck smith and you'll really love this interview he's a great guy and if that's not enough we've also talked about five reasons why esperanto is going to change your life believe it or not before we get to that, let me remind you that today's episode is brought to you with support from a lovely, lovely language learning app, Closemaster. That's C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R. Learning with them, learning with Closemaster, is addictive, it's fun, and it's free. Costs nothing to you. The game is really simple. You will see a sentence in your target language, and there's a gap in it, and you have to type in or select the word that you think is missing from that sentence. It's really, really fun. I've covered in past episodes how I do it, um, even when I get tipsy, seemingly. <laughs> and best of all, Closemaster is available in over 50 languages. That's five zero languages. I really want to tell you how important it is for the future of our show that we keep these sponsors and we keep your reviews coming in. So you're really participating in making the show better, making the show sustainable for the future because hosting and producing it does cost a little bit of money and time and our sponsors help me keep the lights on and your reviews help me know that you're listening and it's worth keeping going so if you're feeling generous do hop over to visit the current sponsor they're really lovely Closemaster and on the website c-l-o-z-e-m-a-s-t-e-r that's closemaster.com slash c-l-l-p you're going to find a video where I'm showing you a few, a few tricks to start using this app right away. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Williams. All right, all right, everybody lovers of languages, welcome to episode 70, 70 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. And in this episode, I am honored and pleased and excited to have a guest with me here today. And my guest, I think, oh, I've been pursuing him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh have we been trying to get this interview? Have we been trying to get this interview on the road and bring it to you today? So I'm not going to wait any longer. I want to introduce you to Chuck Smith. Chuck is the co-organizer of the Polyglot Gathering, which you've heard about and, you know, we've had live reports from the Polyglot Gathering. And so, you know, you get you got a feel in recent episodes of just such a fun event. He's a contributor to Duolingo's Esperanto course, and he's the founder of Esperanto Wikipedia, among some other Esperanto and Polyglot projects. He's also an engineer, an app maker, and is the creator among, well, with some other people, the creator and sort of brain master of Amikumu, which is, in my head, the, the language friendship app, really, the app that helps you speak a language and learn a language with people who are actually near you, who are actually around you. So, Chuck, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's really, really nice to have you. I mean, how many times did we have to postpone our interview before we got going? Maybe three or four. Yeah. lots of random things just kept coming coming up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you lost your voice. Uh, my neighbor decided to start a new DIY project. <laughs> so the calendaring issues, maybe time zones. I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> even though we're one time zone, one hour apart, it, it can it right. can mess up things. Okay, it's daylight savings time. So yeah, indeed. <laughs> oh my god, it probably goes that far back. So <laughs> I know I've met Chuck several times in person. First of all, just like such a a nice and kind person. And back at the Polyglot Gathering, I was chatting to Lindsay um, about you. And I was like, oh, Chuck is here. And, you know, they've got the new app. And this is really cool. And we were talking as well about our different partners, our English-speaking partners. And uh, Lindsay being married to Ash and me being married to 
Christian, both you know English native speakers who don't, I think, quite have the language nerd levels that that maybe we do. Um, and sure. you you know you sort of do that thing where you you might be watching TV in a foreign language, or you you're going somewhere and you see a word on a menu. And you start getting really excited and pointing the word out and go, oh, look, this is like the German word this. And they both mean that. And oh, they're all connected. Isn't this fantastic? And you just get this massive eye roll, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, remember, I think the most, the funniest thing was being in the Polyglot Conference in New York and going up the elevator with some, like the the massive language nerds and talking about rolling different R's. And here we're... And then you just see the like the typical club goers just being like, "Who are these people?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember a chat at the polyglot gathering of these guys, and they were like, "Oh man, we were we were out last night. And we were so drunk. I think we invented a new phoneme." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just like you know, like people have fun with languages, and there, there is a level of obsession here. And Lindsay was bringing her husband along to the event. And we we sort of were talking and said, oh, well, maybe it might inspire him to be with so many other language learners. You know, he might get it. I don't know how, if, if my husband would be. Um, and then she mentioned how you started out. And you, she sort of, we didn't go into detail because I don't, it was sort of, I don't know, but she sort of said, that's what happened to Chuck, right? He never spoke <laughs> any languages. And then he met people who speak languages and then got really into it. So please, Chuck, tell me. I've got to ask, how did you get yes. started? So it's quite funny because then um, with uh, being with Judith here and um, she heard about the Polyglot Conference and I was like, and the one, the first one in Budapest, and I was like, I don't really feel like much of a polyglot, but yeah. And then she's like, well, you speak six languages, right? I'm like, mm, yeah, mostly. <laughs> so quite, quite a lot of them are rusty at the time, much more than now. And so we went and I just found it fascinating. And it's also funny because our roles are then reversed is in the Esperanto community because the Esperanto one I'm like the known as the like the expert and she's the one that's also there but also speaks Esperanto obviously and I'm it's the same thing in the polyglot community except she, now she's the expert and I'm the one who's also there but um, yeah and that's actually what gave, gave us our inspiration being at the polyglot conference we wanted an evening program and we wanted something more like these Esperanto youth events where people are just spending much more time together you know staying in the same place as the conference and um, also having an evening program. And then we said, oh, why don't we just make a polyglot event that's like Esperanto youth conferences? And then that's how the polyglot gathering came to be. Oh, I see. I see. So before you attended your first event of Speakers of Foreign Languages, your first polyglot event, um, that's sometimes scary word, polyglot, <laughs> you already spoke six languages? How did that come about? Oh, just like whenever I... Well, it's always been for practical reasons. I've never been the kind of person like, oh, there's Occitan, I'm going to just learn it because it's there. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. But um, but it sort of came about that like, I lived in Rotterdam, so I learned Dutch. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I learned Spanish in high school and just like these languages just kept coming. I guess Esperanto, well, even Esperanto I learned because I wanted to travel the world with Pasporto Servo, the hospitality network. So even that I learned for practical reasons, which makes me a bit of an oddball in the Esperanto world. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, yeah, but that was pretty much it. Did you find it difficult to learn languages? Or what was your... So many people come with, it with a mindset of, this is hard, I can't do it. But it doesn't sound like... It doesn't sound like that bothered you too much. Oh, I think... Well, one thing that helped me was my mom actually um, helped teach me sign language when I was younger, which I've since mostly forgotten, but I'm actually trying to get back into it. And um, I think that helped me develop sort of the language bug. Mm -hmm. I, and also there were deaf people in the community, so I would end up, like, signing with them. So I see, like, oh, this is actually useful. And, um, and languages didn't come that hard to me, but, I mean, it's obviously not going to be easy for anyone, but... Um, like, I remember my class, uh, my, my Spanish teacher even said, uh, I'm going to do this lesson in English for a change because I think there's only one person here who understands me all the time, and he pointed to me. So, <laughs> But that's the difference, obviously, of a high school rather than like a university class or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So this is a mixture of sort of young Chuck is like, <laughs> I'm imagining now sort of quite studious, but with you know you with already a language slant in there but yet you're yes. led by profession by profession you're a programmer yes 
That's true. Mm-hmm. So there's and also I've this. Also, yeah, and I also found computational linguistics to be quite an interesting field, although I, I never really, I looked at it a bit as a hobby, but never really like studied it, like at a university or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, would you say you're driven by a thirst for knowledge or a desire to connect with people more? Uh, I think it's more the desire to connect, the, this opportunity to speak with people you wouldn't normally have a chance to speak with, or to understand their, you know, their worldview. Um, yeah, that's pretty much because, yeah, if I speak German, I get. Well, first of all, I can much more easily enter into conversations with people here in Germany, and well, in Austria and Switzerland as well. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. of course. But, Okay, so here's a question, because mm-hmm. I think this, this brings us to Esperanto in a way. Now, I said to you earlier, I've never, I've never had anybody on the show who, as far as I'm aware, is, is, well, is an Esperanto speaker. I've never had anybody on the show who is as enthusiastic an Esperanto speaker <laughs> as you. Okay. Um, Charlotte, she, I had, a, had her on the podcast episode about the Polyglot Gathering briefly, but you've got the full attention now. <laughs> so, Esperanto... Is, you say, connecting with people, connecting with people and understanding their worldview, which I think is really interesting because Esperanto Mm. is like, what, 200 people's native language ever. Yeah, around, it's a, a I think it's 100 to 2,000 people. And it is, I want to say man-made, but that's not quite, I mean, all languages are man-made. So, right. but it's a what no, we, planned would be a, a good planned term for it. language. Okay, right. so somebody actually sat down and went, "If I was to make up a language that is awesome, here's what it would mm-hmm. look like." That's roughly Esperanto, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not for most people. It's not a natural choice of language. It's such a minority language. I mean, I'm learning obviously a minority language now, but this goes beyond. There's no ancient. It, you, it can, there cannot be anything ancient attached to it because it was invented in the 19th century. Right. So, Although it is, it is interesting, though, to point out that there's, um, like, say, five schools of Esperanto literature. As you can see, the style evolving through different phases. So if you read texts from the early 1900s, for example, they, they still sound a bit funny, yeah. even though everything's understandable. So it's, it's also interesting in that way that it does have this evolution. Because sort of the idea was that he made the rules and published a thousand roots, and from there it just evolved into a natural, well, as natural of a language as you can think of from that. Mm, that's yeah, it's, that's that's super cool as well. So <laughs> uh, even though it it reminds me of when Lindsay and I we did an episode once about fictional languages, and we mm. spoke about Tolkien and how Tolkien didn't just invent like elvish languages and all that stuff. He invented like a whole family tree of them. Right. You know. And some people say that even those languages are what inspired his entire books. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is pretty crazy to think about too. Like it didn't like when you're reading it, it doesn't feel like you're reading a story he wrote. So it feels like you're reading it like a documentary of this land that <laughs> exists. Yeah, in his it's almost like in his mind this was real. Mm-hmm. Right. So back to Esperanto though. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But this is this is one of the things to me. Um Esperanto or to many people, I think, Esperanto can feel about as real as Elvish. But <laughs> in reality, it's different. Can you explain to me how it's different? And what, well, what is this whole thing about Esperanto? Well, I think the biggest difference is there's just such a big worldwide community who speaks Esperanto. I mean, that was a lot of our like um, inspiration for Ami Kumo too, is that we've got this huge network of people all over the world. So, I mean, I don't know many apps where you launch it and two days later you've got people in 100 countries using your app. So, especially from a small startup like us. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, and um, it's just incredible just meeting people from around the world. And, I mean, a lot of people, I think, learn it because they say, like, oh, I'd love to visit Hungary and Japan and, you know, all these different countries, but I don't. My my life is too short to learn Hungarian and Japanese and Korean, and so and sort of learning Esperanto, you have access to all of these countries, and in a way, 
especially if you're not an English speaker, it becomes even more so. Like, say you're coming from Hungary and you don't speak English and you want to have contact with people in Japan, the United States, Brazil, then you can do that with Esperanto. Mm-hmm. This is okay. So, how is that different to practicing? To how is that different, or in what way is it different to speaking to those people in English? Well, one thing is that um, you feel it's more common ground because you felt like, well, also this fact that you've both done this. So, the person in Brazil and the person in Hungary have both t taken the time to learn Esperanto. And and as an unusual thing, not just like something that everyone does in school. Um, so there's sort of this binding part of the community like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, mm -hmm. it's also the fact that it doesn't feel like you're fighting with this. Like, okay, well, I know one, one of my experiences was I was in a youth hostel in Orlando um, a long time ago. And I was, and I had to talk with a Brazilian. And we, the only common language we had was Spanish. And then I was just thinking, how, how weird is it that we're both having to remember all these crazy conjugation rules for verbs when they don't help us to communicate at all? It's neither of our languages. So I think you have that too. Like, why do, we, why do people who, when neither one of them is a native English speaker, why do they have to wrap their heads around all these exceptions of English just to be able to communicate directly to each other? That's true. That's actually a really good <laughs> point. And that way you are more on an equal footing. Yes. And you also don't have the cultural, like the hundreds of years of cultural baggage that uh, English has. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, there's I no, mean, there's no oppressor thing with, language thing. If you both speak in a language that is aimed at making people equal, huh? Right. I mean, it was also, I remember, really wide opening or eye-opening for me when I was in Brazil the first time speaking with people who knew almost nothing about American culture. And just being like, that's a perspective you don't get to someone, because if they speak English, they obviously learned a bit of American culture, or at least um, English culture, um, when they were learning the language. Uh-huh. So, who is the, the... So, I mean, this is this, this fascinates me now. So, Esperanto is the community i mean i've always known i've always known that the community is very connected among esperanto speakers which is sort mm -hmm. of you're not aiming for sort of this vague goal target language community of native speakers so in a way it's more tolerant because knowing that there that you're very very unlikely to happen upon a native speaker and in a way that that native speaker isn't going to be like better than you at language That mm -hmm. that is quite liberating, right? A yes. lot of people are really scared when they're learning German, for example. Um, people have, have said that to me that, whoa, the Germans, you know, like da da da, and <laughs> talking to a native speaker. And there is the whole fact that Germans act differently to, to English native speakers. Sometimes right. <laughs> it can be a bit abrupt, right? <laughs> <laughs> But also, there is this whole fear that you will make a fool of yourself because they hold the gold standard for how this is done. But in Esperanto, right. no one holds the gold standard. Right. I mean, that's also, there's no special pedestal. I mean, there's almost an artificial pedestal for native speakers, but they're mm -hmm. on equal footing as anyone else. It's not like they went through their education in Esperanto, you know, through school or something like that. Yeah. So, just sometimes funny for native speakers, because they sometimes have just an innate grasp, but they don't really understand the rules. Like, I remember hearing from one... Um, I was actually um, yeah, an Englishman who is a native English speaker, and he said he was learning English grammar in school, and then sometime it just clicked for him, like, oh, an adjective are those words in Esperanto that end in A, and those nouns are talking about are those words that end in O. And it's like, when he was in English class, he got the, the parts of Esperanto grammar that he just, you know, learned from mm. a baby. <laughs> that you need. <laughs> Pretty funny. So it's yeah. very intuitive. Yes. Mm, I've, I've heard that said from a lot of people. Esperanto feels quite intuitive, at least if you're European, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> even, even so, it's not... I mean, I, I knew a guy in Beijing who he'd spent um, 12 years learning English and five months learning Esperanto, and he could already speak Esperanto better than English. Uh-huh. How come, do you think? Um, I, I think it's mostly because the rules are consistent, and the consistency is what, um, what helps you excel so quickly. 
And also another interesting point is that uh, what you tend to lose first in a foreign language are the exceptions. You forget the exceptions. But since Esperanto has very few exceptions, you come back to it a few years later. And I mean, I've had people, I had someone wrote me and he wrote, I haven't done Esperanto for five years, please excuse my mistakes. And I was just looking at it and I'm like, I maybe saw one mistake in a paragraph. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. There's that advantage as well. There is, indeed. Okay, selling it well, oh, selling it well. And another thing that people, like, especially Benny pushed this a lot, was he has a blog post called um, Two Weeks of Esperanto Can Get You Months Ahead in Your Target Language. Because mm-hmm. the idea is basically learning Esperanto is sort of like, um, I don't know if you know in school, learning the recorder, like this uh, small instrument with six holes. Yeah. That no one plays, prof- well, at least I don't know of anyone who plays it professionally. But the idea of learning the recorder is to learn how music works. And then you might go on and learn a saxophone or bassoon or something much more complex. Whereas the same way, you think of you could think of French as being like that bassoon with their massive verb tables. But if you've already have one language, like Esperanto, like the recorder under your belt, you can approach that um, more complicated language um, much more competently. And you'll have the confidence of already having learned another language to speed up your process. Mm. Yeah, the confidence is a huge thing. So I know that you worked on the No, let me let me let me park that question actually for a minute because I want to come back to something that you mentioned before we sort of glossed over it a little bit which mm-hmm. was Pasporto Servo? Yes. What is that? So Pasporto Servo is a hospitality network that's been running since 1966 where Esperanto speakers invite other Esperanto speakers it was basically a um, a directory And so I could say, like, oh, I'm going to Taiwan, and I can start looking, oh, there's a couple hosts in Taipei. Then I could start contacting them and saying, uh, you know, um, you know, give them a little details about myself and say that I'm going to be in Taipei these days. Could you host me? And then, and then they'd, you know, they can answer, yes, I can host you, or no, I'm, I'm going to be traveling or busy at that time. So... But it's a great way, because I know one, one guy in Manhattan who used to use Passport Servo, and he said, um, yeah, I don't, I don't actually like traveling, but I like meeting people. And obviously in Manhattan, he had tons of opportunities to just have people from Iran and China and Brazil all visit him, and he could get a taste of all these countries without even leaving his home. Mm, and then do you have to speak Esperanto to them? when they, Or yes. like, did you have to speak Esperanto to each other? That's sort of an unwritten rule. Yes, it's actually a written rule, even. <laughs> But uh, like during I mean, the whole exchange. Well, I mean, it depends. Obviously, on the it basically depends on the host how how strict the host wants to be because the host may be like, yes, absolutely, I want Esperanto from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave. And there's other times I was staying with a family in Leeds in England, and they were like, yeah, we don't really care. Just speak. We can speak English. It's both of our languages, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the host, how strict they want to be and things like that. That's a really, I think that's, if if you think about it for a minute, Passport to Servo is, I have never heard of a language community united by the language they speak that is global and sort of presumes friendship it feels a bit like you know when i was in in the early 2000s i was a um a member of an online forum called Bowley, and it was for fans of bell and sebastian and we identified each other sort of as well you're a fan of bell and sebastian which is a, a band very cute okay. sort of fey indie band um singing you know sweet songs and things like that if you're a fan of bell and sebastian you're probably a good person That's sort of this assumption sort of somewhere in behind. And it's reminding me of that. It's reminding me mm. of if you're an Esperanto learner, is that something, would you would you subscribe to that? Or do you feel that way? You know, like, do you, if somebody tells you they've learned Esperanto, you feel like a warm glow and you sort of go, oh, we've got something really amazing in common and you're a good person. Yes, it's typically like that. It's it's kind of funny as the community is growing even bigger. We're wondering how long that's actually going to stay around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I mean, the the fact that there's over a million people learning learning Esperanto and Duolingo, for example, and that's just from English, and saying, well, all those million people are probably not all 
great people, even though I typically have good good experiences with Esperanto speakers. Mm-hmm. So, but that- I mean, when I was using Pasporte Servo, I never had a bad experience with a host or anything like that. It was all very, very nice. And if you're learning it on Duolingo, you're not going to be you're not going to experience the same level of cultural induction necessarily. You know, right. the the idea of we share a culture of generosity and looking after each other for lack of a better idea expression. Yeah, I think you'd still do end up by just by reading like watching YouTube videos from Esperanto speakers or if you go to the local Esperanto club, or you go to these um, national conference congresses or international congresses. I think you still end up being in those kind of situations. So it also depends on how how active someone gets into the community. I would say. Mm-hmm. And you sort of get, you get into the community almost naturally because the Esperanto community is the only place in the world you turn to practice Esperanto. Really, you can't go right. to Esperanto land. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's also funny how there's been a um, a massive uh, following on Telegram. Like for example, the biggest group on tele, big, biggest Esperanto mm-hmm. group on Telegram now has four, over fourteen hundred members, and a lot of Esperanto speakers aren't there because they just find too many messages. It's just too active. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of subgroups, like over a hundred subgroups of different topics and different languages. People are talking. Like there's one group where you can speak either Swedish or Esperanto. So some people go there to learn Swedish, and other people go there to learn Esperanto. Because mm, in this group, you. Everybody kind of has language learning in common as well, so I guess it spreads. Yeah, so you have like the language groups where people are learning another language or they're beginners in Esperanto, or you have these um, topic groups, like a group about music or a group about games, things like that, where you can just get into one topic with people from all around the world. That's fascinating. I, okay, so if I wanted to learn Esperanto, how quickly do you think I could, I could manage? Because I've I've been told this is so easy. So two weeks, three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, the I obviously... fastest way would be. I think the very fastest way would just be going. If you went a one week to an Esperanto conference, by the end of the week you'd be fluent. So, and obviously, if you put in some effort beforehand, you'd have much more chance of reaching that fluency mm. at the end. So there is something you know. If you're if you're a listener to this show, I think there is something to be said for learning Esperanto for giving yourself that early success experience. And I have kind of in the back of my mind debated trying to excite or entice my husband to just come to an Esperanto weekend with me um, Mm. because we would have that experience of learning another language in common and then maybe it'll kickstart his German again. There's even um, little short weekend Esperanto courses in in the UK you could uh, go to as well. Mm. And they're cheap. Yeah. They're like £200 or something. I looked, I looked, and then I didn't dare to suggest it, but maybe I will. (laughs) (laughs) Romantic weekend language learning. (laughs) I think there's even scholarships that can help pay um, pay some toward that as well. Wow. Okay. And the UK is a bit of a special in that regard that they can, they often have different grants for even people traveling to Esperanto events abroad and things like that. Wow. Although I think there might be an age limit on them. I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't think there's an age limit, but anyway, you can we can talk about that after the show. <laughs> well, it's it's good for. I mean, I will put a link to what the British Esperantist Association, something like um, that. Esperanto Association of Britain, yeah. Esperanto so Association of Britain. of Britain. I'll put a link to yes. that in the show notes. So if you okay. are interested, listener, you know, um, if you want to. Fight me for those elusive grants or those those generous grants that Chuck has mentioned. Um, Or if you're just looking for a buddy um, and maybe you can convince me to come along to the British Esperanto class with you and we'll just leave my husband at home. Why not? I'm down. I'm down. Let's do it. Okay. Now, a much more convenient and easier and uh, playful way of learning Esperanto would be to do it on Duolingo. And the reason there is a Duolingo Esperanto course, why would that be, Chuck? It's actually funny because at the very beginning, well, as soon as I saw the TEDx talk, I immediately wrote Lewis and said, um, you know, um, could we put an Esperanto course on there? Because it looks like an awesome language platform. And he said, you know, it's, um, we, it's not currently a priority, but it's on the roadmap. And so that encouraged me. And I was actually surprised a few months later, I 
happened upon one of his uh, lectures he was giving at, um, I don't remember which university, but uh, um, the very beginning of the lecture, he said, uh, and, and we get lots of requests for new languages. And surprisingly, the most popular language is Esperanto. And I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> so he was sort of flabbergasted that there was all this um, demand for Esperanto out there. And I think that the reason is that um, lots of people actually want to learn Esperanto, but it doesn't fall into the traditional, like, um, I guess the boxes where language demand would be. For example, because, okay, so for example, the. Ukraine, the Ukrainian course for Duolingo came out about a week before the Esperanto course. And so far, there's slightly more people learning Esperanto now in Duolingo than Ukrainian. So that's how I often tell language companies, uh, if you want to gauge demand for Esperanto, it's somewhere around Ukrainian. Oh, oh, that's a good marker, but, I guess, yeah. But on the other hand, if you want to learn Ukrainian, you have lots of different resources available to you. So different books and courses and... You know, and whereas if you want to learn Esperanto, there's like, well, there's Duolingo. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's, well, there's also Learner.net. But I mean, as far as like just the typical language series that you have, I, mean, I think there's an Aussie meal as well. But I mean, there's pretty rare. So there's just not much competition there. So how did it come about that you, you co-wrote the Esperanto Duolingo course? How does that even, how do you even start? Yeah, so um, it's actually funny how that happened is they... For Esperanto, they just looked at who had the most experience on the platform, the Duolingo platform itself, like learning languages. And then they picked the people who were most experienced. And just they just figured if you're very enthusiastic about Duolingo, then you're going to make good courses, which isn't necessarily the best criteria, I think, but that's what they did at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was one of the people chosen to start developing the course. So it was just, and, but... But on the other hand, one of the reasons why I became so active on Duolingo was so I could become a, a very good candidate when they were ready for the Esperanto course. Mm. So your mission so. was always, as soon as you heard about Duolingo, your mission was to bring Esperanto into this, into this app. So what was behind that? Why, what, what motivated you to, what, what made you want to see Esperanto there? I just thought it was a brilliant idea, this whole idea of, of you know people learning languages for free online and uh, this whole system for it and I also just saw the how many people were learning like these millions of people learning languages on there and I was just like this is a such a popular platform we should have Esperanto on there too so yeah I well I'm also a huge fan of this whole gamified learning so yeah there's all that mm -hmm. and what Well, I, I saw that you, you know, just, just as we were setting up our call, uh, we sort of briefly said hi on video, and I saw this massive wall of board games behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the idea, of, the idea of, of, of playing, really, has, you know, you've, you've played, you, mm. you like the idea of games in general. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how do, you think, how do you think it's working in terms of gamification in Duolingo, or is, that, is, is it how you would design a language learning game if you were starting from scratch? I'd probably have more p pedagogy behind it, like different, like more background from all the education research that's happened. Because Duolingo is a very technical solution. Mm -hmm. like they pretty much try to solve everything technically, mm -hmm. which I think there's a lot. I mean, I would say the same about Google Translate, actually, as well. So Google Translate's a very technical solution to language translation, whereas if they threw in a bit more, you know, theory, they'd have a much better system, I think. Um, but having said that, I mean, it's one thing that uh, Judith always says is that the language learning method that's the best is the one you actually use. <laughs> so if people are actually using Duolingo, that's great that people are learning on Duolingo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, it's probably one of my main criticisms of, of most apps, not all of them, um, mm -hmm. but a lot of the language learning apps is that you've you've captured it very well is that i i sometimes feel well this is missing its soul and mm. and i can't get i i can't not i don't want to get excited i really want to but i can't seem to find my way into it i can't find that that wonderful feeling that you get when you know when you're learning a language and you really go oh my god i get this now <laughs> i don't get that when oh my god i've i'm golden in travel one yay <laughs> it's not the same feeling and And that that emotional connection is 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 something I would I would love to have, 
which is something I think that you're really aiming for with with Amikumu. The mission there is is almost a little bit different. So, mm-hmm. if I, one of my questions that I had for you was, do you think languages can be learned entirely from an app? And yeah, so it's funny because um, I I think I saw this question before the Fluent Forever um, campaign got started, and I was like, no, there's no way you could learn a whole language from an app. And then I was like, I saw that, and I was like, maybe from that Fluent Forever app. But <laughs> I mean, I haven't actually tried it, so I don't, um, I don't know how well it actually works. But, um, but I'd still say that um, generally, you could never learn a language just from one source. Anyway, mm-hmm. even if that source is a person, like you still need. I mean, you can get a very lopsided view of a language just talking to one person alone. Um, but That's very true. most people don't start, of course, speaking to one person. But, um, but yeah, if you have um, books or apps or YouTube videos you watch. I think I always choose personally to have exactly three resources for language I'm actively learning. Because I find that if I have too few, I get bored. And if I have too many, I get overwhelmed with choices. So I find if I have exactly three resources for a language, that's perfect for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think with three apps, you could learn a language. With three apps? (laughs) Oh my God. Perhaps you, perhaps you actually could. Perhaps you actually could. One of the things I always say about apps, like I've, I wrote an article um, once where I really I try to outline my kind of wish list for what I would want in 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 lang- what what always frustrates me in language learning apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things I thought about also was what makes a good language learning app. So for me, it's it should do it shouldn't try and do everything. It should do one thing and do that thing really well. Which in a way. Mm-hmm. Duolingo, I think, claims it does everything, but really, what it does really well is get you doing mechanics, and get you doing mechanics in a way that makes you want to do more mechanics. I also find it's really good for confronting holes in a language you might have, like uh, you might have been always trying to express something around a concept, and because it forces you to translate, you really have to be like, well, I have to actually write what this actually is i can't just you know keep like translocute translocuting i forget the word for it but yeah i'm just talking around um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually what i'm doing right now (laughs) because i don't remember the word i'm looking for which is something that which is something that the uh immersion model language learner really learns to do right and does a lot Mm. The, the kind of learner who has a lot of human contact and not so much book learning but something right. that you don't really do at all if you start, you know, it's almost like um, learning to drive. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're, if you start learning by drive, if you learn your dri- most of your driving by driving, uh, you become a very different driver in a way than if you do a lot of theory lessons first. Right. Like, so I think like Germans do. <laughs> it's very similar. Like, I think it's very interesting. My, my level of Spanish and Dutch is at a similar level, but they're very different because Spanish I learned in high school and <coughs> never really practiced that much. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. Dutch is, I, I lived in Rotterdam for a year and then just used it every day, you know, on the street or in shops. And mm-hmm. so I have that very much like, if someone says something to me, I can reply instantly. Yeah. But like, if someone tries to like, Ask me is this sentence correct? Correct at all? I'd be like, I have no idea. Like, I, it looks okay. <laughs> Whereas the Spanish, I could write a perfectly, like, I know the sentence is perfect that I wrote. But if someone asked me something in Spanish, I might not even understand what they said. That's so. That's so. I I have languages like that as well. Exactly mm. the same experience. Like, I have a French. I did French for un- at university. I can mm-hmm. I can read Le Monde absolutely fine. Um, I don't speak French with enough confidence for, for my right. liking. You know, like my reading confidence is way, way, way higher, <laughs> and that that comes from the you know, like taking an academic or taking a sort of books approach. So it, you're right. Like, and if you've been doing that, then in a way, Duolingo plugs that gap really well and takes you back to the books. Mm-hmm. Like, what, right. And then what Memrise? The one thing in my mind that Memrise does really well is help you remember words. I think it does mm-hmm. that really, really well. So every to me, a good language learning app is when it's when it does one thing really well. And, I and, like, uh, and when ling- people understand that. Mm-hmm. I like Lingvist a lot as well, which Lingvist. is somewhat similar to uh, Memrise, except it's 
It's very much focused on the science of getting those words back to you at the exact moment when you need them. Ooh. So. What, like when you're talking to someone? No, no, it's it's like memorized, like, it's like flashcards, but um, in the middle of sentences. And then when, I think when the system realizes that a word could be slipping from your memory, then it uh, brings it back up again oh. in, your next, in that lesson. Which is similar as well to, we're going to stop the tour of the apps in a second, to <laughs> friend of the podcast and podcast sponsoring Clothesmaster, you know, which has okay. taken that simple gap in a the sentence. They don't bring it back. Um, they count how many what the, what your percentage of what they call mastery is okay. of each sentence, and then um, that determines how often you get shown that sentence. So it's okay. a spaced repetition system, but entirely based on the sentence has a gap in it. I've heard of them a lot. I'd have to try them out. Ah, well, go to <laughs> closemaster.com slash CLLP if you can. Is that, with a, to is that with a C or a K at the beginning? It's uh, closemaster, C-L-O-Z-E, master.com. Okay. And if you go to slash CLLP, then you've supported the podcast as well. Thank you. <laughs> CLLP? Yeah. And, and I made a little video, sort of a tour of the, of the app as well. Ah, oh, great. Yes, mm. I found it. So, so that, yeah. So we've got Lingvist, Fluent Forever, which is becoming an app now as well because they're fully funded and then some on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. the, most funded, the most funded app ever on Kickstarter, which shocked me today to see. Oh, it's in the entire so history cool. of Kickstarter. In the entire yeah. history of Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, now I'll give you I'll give you a chance to tell me, and this is mm -hmm. really interesting because you have made a language learning app. So what to you makes a good language learning app? I think something we can just jump in and get started immediately. So because I think if you think back like like a historical mindset of um Language, if you think of language learning even 30 years ago, like what you were doing, you'd go to maybe the library and pick up uh, a cassette course or something like that, or a book. And then with the internet, you could start learning it at home. And now with apps, it, you're no longer limited by location. Anywhere you are, you're on the bus, you're in a line, you can just like spend five or 10 minutes learning a language, which I think is completely mind blowing. It lets you fit it in any time of day, basically. Mm, that's true. And in a way, that's exactly what apps are, right? That's why an app right. is not a book. <laughs> exactly. So you've built an app. It's called Amikumu. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this until you mentioned it a minute ago. It started out on Kickstarter, right? Yes. Amazing. So we, we, we wanted to raise uh, 8,500 um, euros to produce a basic app. And then um, and we said... Um, well, we could either try to get like some kind of seed investment or, and then I was just like, why don't we just see if there's real demand and go out to the audience and, and, um, oh, I'm talking about Evil Dia or Richard Delamore. He's a, a YouTuber in Australia. He's the most popular YouTuber in Esperanto. I think with over 5,000 subscribers. Yeah. And, um, so we were talking about like this idea of, um, having this app to find people for Esperanto and then we realized actually this could work for any language like welsh occitan i mean cherokee any language you want to like you start learning it and you i mean even say spanish or even in like even in berlin german because it can be hard sometimes just to even you don't if you go on the street and just start speaking german to someone they might just be like why are you talking to me mm. <laughs> you <know>? yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah and so we had this idea to have this app where you could find language um, partners nearby, and and then we put it on Kickstarter. Or we spent about three months preparing the campaign. That's the part that people don't realize about these overnight successes. <laughs> and um, and then at the end, we finished with uh, twenty six thousand five hundred euros. And so, yes, yeah, so then we were able to build a proper startup out of that. That's amazing. How much was it? <laughs> Say it again, slow. 26,500 euros. Oh my God. So you got funded <laughs> one, two, three times over? What? Yeah. Three times over? Yeah, I think it's 313% funded. <laughs> and <laughs> How did that feel? Oh, great. Because, you know, we have this idea in our head. We've been talking about it for months, preparing this campaign, and we're like, so it was... Are we gonna reach the? Are we gonna reach our eight thousand five hundred goal? And then, <laughs> but, uh, and we're very very fortunate because when we 
when we actually reached it, we realized, oh, there's things that we hadn't thought about, like lawyer fees and founding a company and things like that. Oh my so, God, lawyer fees. Yeah. No, who thinks about those? <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, they just sort of come up on you and then you're like, well, I'm glad we have this extra money we can <laughs> throw at those problems. So, so that helped us uh, succeed. And yeah, and now the latest phase is that we um, are talking to some investors because, you know, that 26000 runs out eventually. And we we're talking with some investors in Australia and like no one was really getting it. And I was telling him one day, I was like, you know, the people who get it are the Esperanto speakers. And where are the Esperanto speakers going to be? They're going to be in Seoul, where the largest Esperanto convention happens this year. So we both went out to Seoul to um, seek a sort of mini investors. And in the end, we raised uh, 100,000 euros. So you can from, keep going for a little while. Yeah, for another year. Oh, with, man, um, that's fantastic. Yeah, and then so we just sold like a percentage of our company. And yeah, we got the equity to keep going. No, or we got the money to keep going. We sold the equity, got the money to keep going. Right. This is amazing. This is amazing as well. In in the context of, you know, we think about Duolingo and often I think apps in particular, they they might cost sort of three quid or something, but really the most language learning apps, the big ones, so all the ones that we've just mentioned, from Memrise to Lingvist, they're sort of free at the point of delivery, right? Mm -hmm. They're free to the end user. So I've got them on my phone because they're free. And mm -hmm. people, you know, in a way you think, oh, languages should be free, right? But making these is, is pretty expensive. And mm -hmm. I noticed on, on Twitter that you are generally into crowdfunding. So you, you love the mm -hmm. idea of crowdfunding. And so it's all the better and all the cooler that your own project got supported and funded through the community. I absolutely think mm -hmm. that that is, I'm so pleased that Fluent Forever went that way. And mm -hmm. I think generally that is the way I, I want I kind of want my language products to go. Um, so we, we were also working closely with uh, Itchy Feet, uh -huh. the card game uh, Kickstarter as well, because we're also a sponsor of the Itchy Feet card game. So, yeah, and I'll actually, I'll probably see him in a couple of days because he also lives in Berlin. So we, we met a couple of times to share like stories about Kickstarter and gave him some tips and things like that. So it's been pretty fascinating watching his take off like crazy as well. I don't know what he finished with, but it was a pretty, pretty well over um, the goal, I remember. Oh, cool, I'll put that in show notes as well. Because mm. usually when I see Kickstarters, I, I don't, I pay medium amounts of attention um, mm. because I just, I, you know, I don't browse it that much. It's the same as YouTube. I'm just not, I'm just kind of not there. Um, but I love this. I just love, for me, it's about mm. helping somebody bring an idea to life that is in your head and then it could actually become a thing. And if all that stands between you and and really trying this is money, and, you know, it, it, you shouldn't be held back too much if there's a way around it. But Yeah, but it's also interesting that there's an entire, almost a science behind crowdfunding these days where you can learn, like, what what you need to prepare in advance. Because, I mean, another a mistake a lot of people make, too, is that they're just like, oh, there's Kickstarter. I'll put my, I'll put, I'll make a quick video on my camera and put it up there and ask for $10,000 and I'm sure I'll get it. And then they get, like, 20 bucks. <laughs> so I mean there's a there's also a bit about doing your homework about how crowdfunding works mm -hmm. and and also talking with successful projects and saying like well you're you're in my domain but we're not competitors so would look at my I mean pretty much any successful crowdfunding project also has other people mentoring them um telling them like oh this this stretch goal or this um this um one reward is really bad because you're going to lose money because of shipping internationally and customs and things that you totally didn't even think of and mm -hmm. so i mean there's yeah if you want to get into kick uh, crowdfunding in general i'd also recommend highly researching it before you go in mm, have you had um have you had a mentor somebody you can credit um, a few people i mean uh, one one guy i know uh, juma he's uh, um he's actually makes board games and he just had a successful, really successful Kickstarter. Look at how much he just earned. But he uh, he helped me as well. Uh, his board game is Clans of Caledonia. And I'm just looking up... Oh, there's the Kickstarter right now. And... Yeah, and he taught me a lot about crowdfunding. And, okay, yeah, his project raised 390,000 euros for a board game. So, 
And I mean, I've seen board games even that raise over a million, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> mm. It's pretty crazy. This, gradually, this whole new way of publishing, basically. But of course, that means you're taking everything on yourself, of, um, and that's not easy <laughs> to source all the materials and distribute and everything like that. So. Yeah, make it look good, put it in people's hands. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of work behind the scenes people have no clue about. <laughs> <laughs> You've almost got the easy way when people download your thing, right? Yeah, yeah. When you can make all of your um, rewards digital, you've, you're upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I can see the line here from the beginnings of learning Esperanto and connecting with Esperanto and the idea of Passport de Servo, the generous generosity of the community via Duolingo and kind of spreading the word and really reaching people and connecting the community all around. And then even bringing it down to this Esperanto spirit of the Amikumu app, you know, and also the way mm -hmm. that you raised funds for the Amikumu app. So, and we're happy too to support other language communities, not just the Esperanto community with Amikumu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's my, my remaining thing is really like, give us a, Give us a bit of a pitch. What is Amikumu and why should anybody, you know, how is it different? So the Amikumu app actually supports over 7,000 languages, which is also something unique for us. Is that um, So you could, like even the smallest language, you can start looking for people nearby or even around the world who speak that language, if there's no one nearby. And basically the idea is just to connect you with people um, close to you or just someone anywhere if, if it's a really small language. And just to get people talking and using the language. Um, so how does it yeah, practically work? I open the app and then... Yes. <clears throat> then you sign up for an account. Mm -hmm. And then you can you choose what languages you speak and what level you speak them at. Yeah. And then from those languages, you can choose, like, say, oh, I want to find German speakers nearby. And then you see all the people who speak German uh, near you. And you can just click through and see their profile picture and, and see what languages they speak. And then you can just open up and say hey, do you want to meet at this uh, coffee shop nearby and let's practice this language? Mm-hmm. And oh. it, it, so it's it's a bit like HelloTalk or something like that, sort of a texting in other languages, but with with real meetups. Right. So, um, yeah, because there's lots of tandem apps out there, but they tend to be just over the internet. And like maybe I'm practicing Spanish with someone in Mexico, but maybe I want to just meet someone locally and speak Spanish. Like, mm. just a very different feel to it. Yeah. And also, like, if I... I think one time I actually even wrote someone in HelloTalk, I was like, oh, I noticed you're nearby, and I think it just came off as being totally creepy because <laughs> they didn't sign up for HelloTalk to meet people nearby. <laughs> so, you know... Was it a girl? Just, I think so. <laughs> so you got that kind of thing in there as well. And do yeah. you, um, what's been your experience? How have, pe have people actually used this or are people a little bit mm -hmm. too, have I lived in England too long that, that <laughs> <laughs> people would be I've hesitant been, to use this? I've even heard of people in England using it. And <laughs> I know one, I know one guy who actually set up, uh, just like said, hey, we're going to just all like a bunch of Amikumu people are meeting at this bar and just come out if you want to. And he just set a time and messaged a bunch of people. And I think at the end they had like five people come out and for I think he said two of them, they'd never even spoken Esperanto in real life before that time. So, I mean, it's funny because you've got, if you get, like, say I talk to people at the big Esperanto conference about Amikumu, and they sort of like, I don't really get the point of this. And then you have these beginners on Duolingo who are totally not connected, and they're like, I need this in my life yesterday. Like that was <laughs> during the campaign. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just this whole different level of, demand based on how connected you already are to the community as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so somebody completely new say you live in i had a student who lived in texas who lived mm -hmm. in houston and uh, didn't really know a lot of german speakers around him and every now and then he'd be like i met someone Kirsten. <laughs> like i got like a text and it was so cool and I, I just it makes me so happy so it's it's that yeah. but a yeah, little bit of... more engineered yeah, because I heard of even someone in Iowa with an Amikumu that uh, traveled out to a 20-minute drive to meet someone at a mall to, <laughs> to practice. I was like, wow, there's people in Iowa using our app. This is amazing. <laughs> like, that is amazing. And do you know yeah. what? I've just re-downloaded it, um, mm -hmm. and I looked at it as you were talking about it. 
And mm -hmm. now in my town, there is actually a person who is an Esperanto speaker. Ooh. So maybe it's the fact that I put Esperanto in there. I don't know. There's Esperanto, <laughs> yeah. Spanish, and Tokipona. <laughs> what? Who are you? I'm coming to find you, mate. <laughs> That's amazing. Nice. That is amazing. And it, it's really, it makes you feel so excited when you when you mm -hmm. get this list and it tells you okay this person is 60 miles away this person's da, 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 da. but then you get that one person or the two you know if you're in the middle of london probably lots of people mm -hmm. and it says this person is 500 meters away from you i mean i just opened it i live in the center of berlin and there's four people within a kilometer of me mm -hmm. that's incredible you know that is really yeah. really cool to to be able to connect with people in that different way and i think yeah, and i and i only know one of them by the way you only know one <laughs> Yeah. Is it you did, Maya? Yeah, it actually is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys live together, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I love the I love the idea. I love how everything you do um somehow leads back to this feeling of generosity and sharing. Well, thank you. It's I think it's tangible in the app, in the spirit of the app. In the spirit, certainly the, the general spirit of the Esperanto movement, I think what people attracts, or what attracts mm. people about it is, is that sense of sharing mm -hmm. and that sense of opening up something that you, you couldn't as easily access because this is a world where people are nice. And what you've given to Duolingo is obviously has made a massive difference for the community as well. Mm, yeah. Especially in the U.S., because um, forty percent of people learning it on, on Duolingo live in the United States. There's been a huge boost there. So, what's the next step for Amikumu? Uh, we have lots of plans. So, um, right now, we're mostly polishing it up to push for more of a, a marketing push, and we want to have things like local chat, where you could say, like, just speak French with anyone in your city, type thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot more coming up. I can't talk about yet. Oh, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll keep an eye on it on amikumu.com. I will, I will say, though, one thing we've just done recently is you can have a profile in every language you speak, which we find unique to our platform. We don't know of other platforms that do that. That's super cool. You know LinkedIn does that. Oh, okay, I knew they did it for at least two languages. I didn't know they did it for more than two. Oh, to be fair, yeah. I was too lazy to do more than one. <laughs> so it's oh every sorry this is only just dawning on me every language that you speak yes you could have a profile in so you can also kind of you can almost demonstrate your language skill or at least go for it and mm -hmm. you can you could do little updates or you could change it regularly and say yeah you're welcome yep. to correct and, and what a conversation starter have, oh sorry go ahead what a conversation starter if your profile is in terrible <laughs> Spanish and somebody contacts <laughs> right. you to correct you, right? And uh, people even write um, uh, in like non-spoken languages. Like uh, if you have, like I have ASL, American Sign Language in my profile and I talk about my experience on English, learning ASL and things like that. Oh, wow. So you don't, so you don't have to write in that language, really? I'm sorry? You don't have to write in that language. Oh, if if the language has a written form, you usually do write in that language, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And um, but yeah, like we also support over a hundred uh, sign languages, so obviously you can't write in sign language, mm -hmm. but you can write in the the language of the country you're in. Oh, I love it! <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that is Amiku then for now, and your so our main really call for anybody is you know. If you are listening to the podcast and you got curious about this, go to amikumu.com, get the mm -hmm. links, or simply go to Google Play Store or what's the other one? App Store? Uh, Apple App Store, yes. Apple App Store <laughs> or Google Play Store. Uh, is, there a, is it available on iPads? Is it a tablet app or is this a phone thing? It is a phone thing, but you can run it on a tablet. Excellent. Oh. So as long as your device has a location thingy-madoodle in it, then mm -hmm. this, is, this is going to work. <laughs> the download yeah, iOS and Android. Amikumu, A-M-I-K-U-M-U, and that means friendship in Esperanto? Uh, make friends. Make friends. Or, um, or the fun way we, we've literally translated as do the friend thing. <laughs> 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 do 
do the friend thing with Amikumu app. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> and while you're downloading apps, don't forget Clothesmaster, C-L-O-Z-E, master.com slash C-L-L-P. And that's your other app to download today. So in a way, we've got listener homework now. All right, sounds great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time. I had, a, I had a lot of fun in this interview. It was really fun. Thank you to you too. Yes. So it's goodbye from Chuck Smith and it's goodbye from me. Goodbye, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to leave us a rating in iTunes and also to subscribe. And please get in touch and tell us what you thought of the episode and our topics. On Twitter, we are at LD Languages and at Fluent Language, so we're easy to find. Or you can send me an email to Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk.